at the ball game. Yo! Welcome, everybody, to the Fantastics Inside of Baseball podcast here on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. I'm Lou Blassie, along with Brandon Kamenman from Fantastics and InsideOfBaseball.com. But you know where you are. It's not like serious, right? You came to InsideOfBaseball.com or you looked up our podcast. So you know who we are and what we're doing. Brandon, how's it going? It's going well. Uh, good to get the podcast in. We had a, a Fangraphs snafu over the weekend, <laughs> so we couldn't get the podcast recorded then. I know, but this the sec- that was the second weekend in a row that Fangraphs was down or partially down, and then it just came right on before we did the serious show. Um, almost like it was just, it knew we needed it. Another reminder of just how much we rely on oh, that website and how much uh, great work they do there uh, that uh, we can't really live without it. Yeah, I, I have to say this, and I, I usually on the show I say this once a year or so. That is the best money I ever spend. And by the way, become a member of FanGraphs and 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 you know spend the money. First of all, a lot quicker when you when you're a member, <laughs> when you're a paid member, works right. out a lot quicker. But they do great work. I love everybody over there. I love reading this stuff, and I love having my own dashboard. And uh, you know, I just love hitting FanGraphs. It's it's the definitely the website I hit the most, just in terms of what we do in trying to analyze players. This past weekend on uh, Fantastics, especially on Sunday, that was the National Day of Potential Concern. It's our annual show, uh, Skyler's thing, where we declare it's okay to panic on some players or it's okay to look into some players that have been underperforming and uh, decide whether we have to make some moves on them or not. And that was the whole show Sunday on Sirius. The next podcast you have here, it's not up yet, or maybe it is by the time you're listening to this, Sky and I will recap that a little bit and do some of those players and some more players that we didn't do on Sirius. But the day before, Brandon, you and I did players that are overperforming or outperforming their projections or their history. And for the most part, these are players we're sold on, but we're going to start on the players we're not sold on. But let me ask you the question first, what happens when you get a player like this and we're far enough into that's the whole idea of the national day potential concern we're far enough in the season to start to look at this a little bit seriously what do you start looking for when you have a player who in this case is overperforming his baseline his history or what we projected him to be well, it's certainly easy to look at the luck stats. You know, if you're if you're talking about a hitter, um, easy to quickly look at the BABIP, home run to fly ball rate, those sorts of things. Um, but you know, you, I, I do think you know we just hyped up fan graphs. You know, it's really nice to have the stat ca- be in the stat cast era. Yeah, we're per- we're presented with a lot of different options and and expect especially the expected options. Now, I always caution. Uh, you can go a little overboard with the expected options. The expected options does not mean that's what they need to be doing. That's what they should be even getting. It's kind of giving you an idea of based on their swing, based on their you know hard hit rate, mm-hmm. all the quality of contact, all the things that go into it, even plate discipline, all of that they factor in uh, kind of where they, they would be settled. And so I, I, I do like to look at the expected stats just to see, you know, is this way off? Is there something that's kind of really out of whack? And in a lot of cases with these guys who are either overperforming or underperforming, um, that's the case. And so uh, between the luck stats, the expected stats, that's the baseline. Uh, but I certainly, you know, you could certainly look in further than that and look at the plate discipline, look at the things we always look at, the plate discipline, quality of contact, things along those lines. Well, BABIP takes in a lot of samples, but luck stats, home and a fly ball rates, things like that. Even the stat cast stats that we lean on so heavily, hard hit percentage, barrel percentage, uh, exit velocity, 
we're still early enough so that they can be changed rather dramatically. And I need point no further to Trevor's story, who we'd have been talking about completely different a week ago uh, than we are now. And I'm guessing I wish I'd kept track of his, his numbers a week or 10 days ago as, they, as opposed to they were what they were now. And even those indicator stats would be telling a completely different story. So we have to kind of keep that in mind that we're still a little hot streak, you know, a nice five for eight run or, or a good series for a player away from changing some of these stats that feed into that expected batting average and expected slugging or the things we look at. Those numbers could look completely different with a good series or even a good day or two at the plate. And sometimes I think it's important to trust what you know in a player. Yeah. You know, we we can go overboard with, uh, I think we can go overboard with track record and, and who this player's been because guys do change and things happen and there are adjustments made and there are injuries, there are age regression. I mean, there's all sorts of things that can happen. But when you see that, you know, Trevor Story's hitting 170 or that Whit Merrifield is hitting 180 or that Cattell Marte is hitting under 200, then you, you know who these guys are enough to know that this isn't that bad. And so all three of those guys, I bring them up because all of them over the last week have been red hot. And so Trevor Story is now starting to put up the numbers we thought he would put up mm-hmm. or we knew he was capable of putting up. And Cattell Marte is the same way. And Whit Merrifield is now the Whit Merrifield we expected him to be. So the the research you did in the offseason, right. it didn't just go out the door. So even though we're, you know, a month and a half into the season, you know, th- that research can still apply. And, uh, and I think it can help you a little bit. You know, another guy um, who I know has really been struggling and I, I still have a little bit of faith in, and this is a much to a much lesser degree is a guy like Jonathan scope, mm-hmm. uh, with Detroit, whose, whose numbers are just terrible. But if you really look at what Jonathan scope's doing, it's like, this is the same old Jonathan scope. He's had some bad luck. Is there a little bit of regression here and there? Maybe a little bit, but generally I'm still banking on Jonathan scope ending up pretty close to where he usually ends up. Yeah, now if we can just get Marcus Simeon going a little bit, then that, yeah. then things would be great at this point. Although <laughs> Marcus Simeon is an interesting case in that, and I don't have his page up in front of me, but uh, from looking at him recently, this is when we look at underlying stats, and this is kind of the whole game for us here at Fantastics. When we look at results stats and we look at the indicator stats, so the underlying stats, it's I don't know. Is it better for? I guess it's better for me when they tell me a different story, especially in these situations where a player is outperforming their projection or underperforming their projection. I really like to see the indicator stats telling me a different story than the result stats. I especially like to see the indicator stats telling me exactly what you just said. This is the guy he's always been, and it's it's going to level out in the long run. But you know, things haven't worked this way for him so far. Far or the, he's been he's been not lucky, but you know, he's been on it and he's been getting some breaks. He's got some tailwinds, but I like it when the indicator stats tell me it's the same guy we've always seen. When there's a change, that gets interesting too, however. And that's where, you know, you have to understand that there's volatility in baseball. And there are things sometimes behind the scenes we don't know, and then some things that are a little more obvious. Again, if there are injuries, um, you know, if they move to a new team and it's not a good fit, if there's some things going on that we don't know about that we may know about. It's just there is a lot that goes on. I mean, these are people. And so there's a lot of factors that can play into it. And again, I mentioned age regression and not that I think that's the case with Marcus Semeny. He's only 31, but you know, I mean, those are things that sure can play into what you're looking at. 
in Marcus Semien's case, and I, you know, I know we don't have to get super into him, but like he's been somewhat volatile throughout his career mm-hmm. and he's been up and down throughout his career. So when he's way up last year, you, you, you know, kind of have a little, like look a little bit weird at that, <laughs> have a little skepticism with that. Sure. And when he's way down this year, have a little skepticism with that. He's not as good as he was last year. He's not as bad as he is this year. Uh, the volatility, though, with Semyon doesn't give you much confidence, unlike a Whit Merrifield, who's been pretty consistent for years now. Uh, the volatility scares me a little bit more with Semyon because, like, where is he going to get to? And is this just going to be one of his real down years? Yeah, well, it can be a down year, but his da- a down year for him is still going to be per- a lot better than what we've seen so far sure. out of him. And I just think it's one of these situations, Skyler and I were talking about it on, on Sunday, it's just one of these situations where he's on a new team, he's got a good-sized contract, he's walking up to the plate you know, for his four at-bats, and there's a two-story scoreboard in center field that says he's batting 182 and hasn't hit a homer yet. And it's just, it gets, you start pressing, it gets difficult under those conditions. I think Bryce Hopper fell into that when he first signed with Philadelphia. I think uh, Giancarlo Stanton, did that with the Yankees early Francisco on. Francisco Lindor did it with the Mets. Francisco Lindor with the Mets. Yeah, as much as we hate to admit it because we want to be metric centric here, there are things, there are human elements going on here as well. And I think one of those is when you have a cold start to a season and you're staring up at that 182 batting average and no homers on this new team that you just signed a big contract for and you want to win over the hearts and minds of your teammates and be a contributor in that clubhouse. At this point, 150 at bats in, it gets a, it gets to a point where it, it's pressing on you a little bit, and especially when it's kind of pressing on the whole team a little bit, which yeah. to a certain degree it is with Texas. Um, I think it's the same, a similar situation in Detroit. Uh, you know, I, I think sometimes that can really just bring the whole locker room down, um, and and it, it gets hard to get out of that funk. So, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things. So, it's same thing with like a, a rookie who's struggling. Um, you, you know, some people I think overdo it with that. And it's like, you, you know, you're a rookie, you want to make a impact and you go up there and you're hitting 180 and, you know, I mean, that, that, that can get pretty difficult. And, uh, so, you know, I mean, it's the Jared Kelnick thing is we still don't really know who Jared Kelnick's going to be. Um, but I, I still personally am sitting here thinking, Jared Kelnick's in a bad place mentally. So yeah. uh, we don't know what the Jared Kelnick in a good place mentally is going to be. And maybe at some point we're going to see that. I don't know. And I understand a lot of people wanting to, you know, jump ship on Jared Kelnick. I get that. Sure. Um, but at the same time, you know, once maybe those numbers turn around, does he start to feel a little bit better, get the confidence back and start rolling? Well, look at, I mean, we can go, we can go over these models as well. We get Byron Buxton. It took years to establish himself in the majors. We get Kyle Tucker, who at times looks great and at times looks lost. And it's a matter of when they feel they've established themselves. Those examples are tougher though, because you don't have the backstory that you have on a Marcus exactly. Simeon. And uh, with Simeon, for example, I'm, I think Trevor Story is the comp. I mean, on May 5th, Trevor Story struck out four times and was being booed off the field at Fenway. He wasn't being booed off the field, but he was being booed at Fenway. And the team was down. There was a a great malaise going on with the team. He gets a big hit, hits a homer, has a big day. Things turn around in a a dramatic fashion. I don't expect that from Marcus Simeon. Not many players get as hot as Trevor Story is right now. But uh, the same type of thing can happen. Marcus Simeon hits a big homer, has a, a good game, has two or three hits. And, you know, it relieves all that pressure, and then he becomes the hitter 
that we think he should be. And that's not necessarily a 33 home run guy or a 45 home run guy. It's more like a 20 home run guy, but he can get back to that pace and steal steal you 10 bases. He could very easily do that. And I think it's just a matter of, of that emotional element, just getting over it and just being able to settle in in his new home with his new clubhouse. I always think it's similar to like a basketball player who's in a funk and then gets to shoot a free throw. And, you know, he could be 0 for 7 from the field. Yep. And he gets to go to the line. He gets to take a breath. Nobody in his face. Shoot that free throw. See the ball go through the hoop. And it just changes things, right? You just yep. start to to look at things a little bit different. And then sometimes you see where those that then that basketball player will get red hot or something, and you know then score ten straight points or something. Speaking of being booed at Fenway Park, and I know this has nothing to do with our podcast. Oh, good! I'm, I can't um, wait to see where this is going. So I have only been to Fenway one time in my life, mm-hmm. 2010, and th- it was not a good time for the Red Sox yeah. when I was there. Yep. It was in um, must have been around June. And Big Poppy was booed. Oh my God. He was in a terrible funk. I I don't know. He was just, he was hitting under 200 and just in a terrible, terrible funk. And I remember people at the time were saying he's done, career over. He's, you know, he's, he's done. And, and he was booed. And I remember I was there with my, my wife and I said, I cannot believe it that they're booing a Boston legend. Little did I know he would end up playing another 10 years and, you know, go down as one of the great Red Sox in history. I know, right? uh, but, you know, he I, the one game I was at Fenway was a game that David Ortiz was booed. Was booed. I see, you saw a historic game. I don't exactly. remember that. I don't remember that. But I, and I find that one hard to believe because David Ortiz had a track record, which Trevor Story didn't have in Boston. But uh, getting to the list here, and we'll, again, we'll start with the players. You can go to SXM, the SXM app, and find our show from uh, Saturday where we dealt with some other players here. Uh, we'll get to some of the players we didn't get on the list. But we're going to start with the players who are overperforming our expectations, but we're not necessarily buying in. And I'm surprised Manny Machado is on this list from you and he, he was on the national day of potential concern list from Skylar too. And for Skylar, it just came down to batting average. Is that what we're talking about? He's not going to hit three sixty five for the rest of the year. This is, this is it. And and that's why it's a good thing I get to talk about it and don't just submit a list. <laughs> um, because yeah, I mean, Manny Machado is obviously having, I mean, he's the MVP in the national league right now. Oh God. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, he's in three sixty five, eight home runs, seven uh, stolen bases. I mean, he, he's just been absolutely on fire. Um, and power and speed have always been legit for Machado. I mean, that that's just been his track record, you know, maximum steals of 20 back in 2015. He did steal t- uh, 12 bases last year. So we're not, not like we're talking about um, 30, 40 steal guy, but he is really fast and he is really athletic. He probably, if he wanted to focus his game on that, he could steal more bases, mm-hmm. but we know he could hit a lot of home runs. Um, and, you know, he hasn't had a 30 homer season in a few years. 2019 was his last one. I think this he's on his way to another 30 home run season this year. The big thing is, and, 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 you know, you, you mentioned Skyler touching on it as well. He's got a right now 418 Babip. Uh and 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 that's the biggest factor. And Machado's always been a fly ball hitter. This year he's hitting the ball on the ground more. Not sure I see that continuing to this level. Um and it's it has been a great season for him, but that batting average, you know, in the 
three sixties. Well, we know it's not even going to be, it's not going to be that, but I, I, it's not even going to be to me in the three thirties, three twenties. And we're going to see him back to where he's always been, which is two eighties two nineties. Maybe he does hit 300, he hit 304 in 2020. I could see with this good of a start him yep. finishing around 300. And again, this is incredible. This is fantastic. He's outperforming expectations. So if he finished the year at 30, uh, 300 with 30 home runs and 15 to 20 steals. I mean, that's he's outperforming expectations. Even in the second round, um, you're getting you're going to steal for him. So it's all great. I'm not saying sell on Manny Machado <laughs> or or you know you know go to town on Manny Machado. I'm just saying be cautious of what he's doing right now because it's not sustainable. Yeah, and again, it's just batting average, but no one expects should expect him to hit 365 for the rest of the year, and it, it's just that that uh, BABIP is not sustainable. His expected batting average is 304, which is still pretty damn good, so we're not really knocking him. But I want to dig into this a little bit because you talked about the expected stats, and right now where I'm sitting here, the expected slugging percentage is 510, and he's actually slugging 604. So the expected stats tell us that there's, he's had a little bit of overperformance in his result stats from what he's done. Now, his quality of contact numbers look very similar to last year, 52% hard hit percentage. The barrel rate is down to seven, even though, the, yeah, even though the launch angle is up to 15 points, we'll call it 16, which would be a high for him. So this is one of these things where you have to be cautious about early season numbers, especially these types of percentage numbers, because what that's telling me is this early in the season, his launch angle is fine. His exit velocity is pretty good. It's not the 93 he had last year, but it's pretty good. And the barrel rates are down, which means that, you know, he's, well, his ground ball percentage is up to 41%. When he's missing, he's missing. That's what it's telling me. He's still hitting the ball. But when he's missing, he's just digging into that barrel percentage stat a little bit more. So, and that's what's dragging down the expected slugging, dragging it down to 510. Listen to me. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's what gives him a lower expected slugging percentage than his actual slugging percentage is that barrel rate is down because, you know, he's just, he's, he's not getting those, uh, marginal barrels, if you want to call them that. Yeah, it, it's it's worth noting he is uh, chasing more than ever. Uh, his chase rate's higher than ever. Um, and a lot of the balls he's hitting are outside of the zone. Now, when you're feeling good, when you're aggressive, we've talked about this before, a high chase rate doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing. Um, when you're feeling as good as Manny Machado is feeling, we talked about the guys who weren't feeling so good. Well, probably does feel pretty good to walk up there with a 365 batting average and eight home runs. Um, he's confident he's feeling good. So why not let him chase out of the zone a little bit more, but you tend to hit balls in the zone harder, barrel them up a little bit more, you know, do more damage with them. If you're chasing out of the zone, not always the case, Vladimir Guerrero senior, perfect example, but in most cases, those aren't the balls you're going to hit with you know as much authority and so uh you know again i mean w- this is this is uh grasping at straws to a certain degree here because it's not <laughs> a dramatic rise in right. chase rate and this doesn't explain everything um but it's just he's a little more aggressive this year um again his swing rate is near 50 percent. it's it's as high as it's been you know since he was back in baltimore but this looks um, a lot like, like the bottom line is this looks a lot like last year yeah and probably he's gonna end up with numbers pretty close to last year, uh, you know, this, this batting average, probably a little bit higher. And, uh, just because of this great start, maybe because of the base, right? Yep. Yeah. And he's, but, a, he's not a big BABIP guy. He hasn't had it. He's had uh, one 300 BABIP and that was the 304 in the last five stat lines. Uh, so he's not a big BABIP guy. So this 413, it's just 
again, it's just not sustainable. But if you're counting on him hitting, hitting 300, 365 the rest of the year, it's not going to happen. With this base, he may sustain a 300, but I'm not even sure of that. I think he ends up below 300 before the end of the year. I would bet on that too. I would say he ends up around 290. Um, and again, I, I, I even the home run pace is, in my mind, going to slow down yeah. a bit. I, again, I still think Manny Machado is going to end up with fantastic numbers. But And we have year. to mention it here. We, we've been kind of skirting it as we've talked about Trevor Story and, and, and some of these things. The game's heating up. I mean, the, you know, the home run game is heating up. The home run's coming back to a large degree with the warm weather. He posted these eight home runs with in in a non home run environment and gives gives him a good base. So if he continues, you know, if he continues with this quality of contact, you know, he could keep this pace up. Again, you you're call, you called for thirty earlier and with this start of eight in the first hundred and fifty nine at bats, that's certainly well within reach. And by the way, he won't hit three hundred. We neither of us think, oh, you know, what's the big deal, right? Thirty homers and he's gonna have twelve, fourteen steals. Yeah, I mean, and again, I think most people picked him up in the second round or, you know, maybe, you know, late first round. If you if you were a little aggressive in a deeper league, I can see that. Um, I think he's going to he's going to end up right about there. I, I do just think, you know, I hesitate there will be regression because I don't think Manny Machado is going to change a whole lot. No, um, but, you know, that numbers wise. It w- there will be regression. Well, I mean, the Babbitt's going to regress, and the batting average is going to regress. It's, it's, it's yeah, just and like I said, I think the home run pace is even going to regress a little bit. Not dramatically, and it might, you know, might he might still end up with 30 home runs. But, um, you know, he, he's been on fire. It's been great if you've had him. Um, and and I, I'm not even suggesting sell on him. I'm not even suggesting trade him uh, because I still think he's going to have a really nice season. But there's there's going to be some changes uh, to, to the pace he's on. For all intents and purposes, I, ha- I think he hits 30 unless he gets a DL stint in there. And, you know, playing time is always the big thing. How many how many bats is going to get? He's been a relatively healthy guy. As old as we think he's it, he is, he's only 29. Incredible. So if he stays healthy, he could still get his 560 at-bats, 580 at-bats, which I think gets him pretty close to 30 homers this year with this start. Yeah, and and the other thing, too, is he hit playing in San Diego. He's a little bit uh, not as much affected by the cold weather in the early going of the yep. season, yep. Um, and most of his home runs have been in San Diego. So that, you know, just one note there is like, as opposed to some of those guys who are maybe playing in the East Coast or in the Midwest, uh, you know, Manny Machado not as affected in April by those, uh, by the cold weather. All right, the next guy on the list here is a pitcher, and this brings us to a phenomenon that we have seen throughout when we're evaluating pitchers pitchers uh throughout baseball so far this season is the one standout number and again we talk about with pitchers and i know brandon you're on board too it's just walks strike out some guys keep the ball in the ballpark some of these pitchers that we've been talking about so far in the the early season have been keeping the ball in the ballpark at rates that i'm not sure we can sustain we didn't know well, we didn't know what the power thing was going to be, how home runs were going to play out for the rest of the year. I think we're now we're getting some idea that the weather has played a significant percentage role in suppressing the offense to this point, and the home runs are coming back. So when we look at Miles Mikolas, we've got him at uh, about a half a home run per nine. He's a career one homer per nine. He's been 1.2, 1.3 the last two seasons. Is that one of the big reasons he can't sustain this one? Well, he's not going to sustain a 196 ERA. That's just ridiculous. But is that one of the big things that concern you at this point? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you pretty much put it out there. That's my biggest concern. He's given up three home runs this year. In 2019, he gave up 27. Um, and, you know, traditionally, you kind of broke it down. He's not a, he hasn't given up a ton of home runs. Uh, he's more of a ground ball pitcher and induces weak contact, contact generally. Um, but again, to only allow three home runs in 55 innings so far, um, that's unsustainable. Um, keep the walks down. Could limit some damage, um, but we know he doesn't strike guys out. And so at the end of the day, he just has the makings of some major regression. XFIP 379, kind of right where I'd expect him. He's pitched well and, and, and good for him. And again, keeping those walks way down, I mean, that's the key to the game with Miles Michaelis. He doesn't put guys on base. Uh, and, you know, he does give up weak contact, which is part of the reason he can keep mm-hmm. those home runs relatively manageable. But at the end of the day, you know, I mean, he, he doesn't strike guys out. There's, there's just too much flaw, too many flaws in his game uh, to expect this to continue. So, yes, I don't think people out there are expecting him to continue with a sub two ERA, but I would say it's going to get even worse than that. There's going to be a point where those home runs come back and uh, and he, he might have a couple rough starts in the near future. When I look at that, when I see a big change in a significant column like that, I've got to know if something else has changed that leads me to it leads me to think there's been a gain. And with home runs uh, per nine, for example, controlling your home runs, I'd look at ground ball percentage and I'd look at quality of contact. Quality of contact looks very similar to his career. I mean, he's he controls quality of contact reasonably well. He just doesn't punch out enough guys and he controls walks. He just doesn't punch out enough guys. He's going to give up some homers. I don't see anything that's changed in this game that would indicate that he can sustain this half a home run per nine when he traditionally he's closer to one per nine or even more. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned quality of contact is pretty much in line with where it's been. Um, if anything, maybe guys are hitting them a little bit harder this year, um, but it's it's minimal. It's it's basically the same. He, he is the same pitcher he's been. Yep. Again, we have a track record with Miles Michaelis. Uh, he's he's just had some nice luck in the early going. He's had a couple of weak opponents that he's faced. Yeah, he's. He faced the Mets in New York and and didn't give up a home run in that game. Only gave up you know three runs, two earned. Uh, so that was a nice one. Faced Toronto in his last start and started to see a little bit more of the uh, you know chinks in the armor. Uh, two walks, one home run allowed, um, and he gave up three runs. Um, I think we're going to start to see a little more problems coming forward uh, as Michaelis continues and. Uh, it's nice. He's had a nice start. Um, and I, 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 again, I think, uh, there's reason to be optimistic that at least he's going to be back to sort of the guy he was before his injury where he missed, um, all of 2020, but, um, but he, he the home runs are going to come and keep those walks down. That's the key for Michaelis. The walks have come back a little bit in the, in the last few games. Now he's never given up a lot of walks, so I'm confident he can, but when he faces good teams, you can't be giving up the walks because the home runs are going to come. Yeah, and the, his last great season, we had the 283 ERA in 2018. He had a sub one homer per nine that was 0.72, and his his fly ball rate was the lowest that we've seen in his career at 28.5. He's just not doing that at this point. That's what that's what I'd be looking for if I was looking to see if he could sustain this home run, controlling the home runs the way he has. But his fly ball rate is. Just basically, it's actually higher than what we've seen the last couple of years. Quality contact is pretty much the same. This is going to regress. He's a good sell high type of guy. I would be, I would be shopping him at this point. Not that at the price you got him, by the way, and the role right. you got him for the end of your rotation 
and just, again, just be a good, solid floor pitcher who's not going to undo the good work of your top starters, he still fits that role very well. It's not a knock. Things aren't going to go awfully bad for him. But right now, his price will never be higher. I'd be shopping him around. And I think this goes back to what I was saying before about trust your off-season research. If you were saying, look, Miles Michaelis was drafted deep in drafts or you picked him up on the waiver wire, however you acquired Miles Michaelis, and you said, yeah, I mean, there's no risk here. Great, good. And that was a smart choice because I think Miles Michaelis is worth that. And he's he deserves to be on a roster. Uh, but don't start changing it to thinking, oh, he's a must-start pitcher. No, he's not a must-start pitcher. I still think you have to look at him the same way. He's still somewhat of a streaming pitcher, a depth pitcher on your fantasy roster uh, who you got to pick the right spots against. And, and that's the thing. is he, he, He's going to have a couple rough starts. I'm telling you, he's going to have a couple rough starts. Uh, and it, it probably is going to come sooner rather than later. So still pick your spots with him. He's cert- Even though his numbers have been this way, he's certainly not a must-start. Uh, and just trust the off-season research you did on him because it is still kind of pretty accurate to who he is. I guess what we're looking for in J.P. Crawford at this point is he has four homers and 144 bats when he had nine and 619 last season, and uh, uh, nine was a career high for him. So he's on a pace that would get him into the teens, and can he sustain that? Although, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on here. I guess that's the big question, right? Can he sustain this? Is anything in his indicator stats showing that he's made some gains that support this increase in in power is expected uh, slugging percentage is 381. He's sitting at 438 right now. Yeah. And uh, Crawford is, is even since I sent you this list, it started to uh, dry up a little bit yeah. and, and, and got a little bit cold. Um, so th- the homers are, are a big concern for me. He does not hit the ball hard. Uh, his average exit velocity is pretty weak. Barrel rate under 4%. Um, I love that he hits a lot of line drives. He's got a 20 near 25% line drive rate. That will help his batting average, which right now is at 288, if I'm looking at the stats for tonight even. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the, the batting average is, is is you know, I think he's capable of putting up a decent batting average. Uh, but to me, even like a 12% home run to fly ball rate is too high for this guy. Uh, you know, he just doesn't hit the ball hard enough. He's got, he's too weak. Um, doesn't hit the ball to the opposite field. Okay. So he's trying to pull and maybe selling out for power. Don't you're JP Crawford, right? Like don't do that. Um, the power isn't good enough. And eventually pitchers can adjust to that. They can say, look, I don't have to, like you you aren't going to take me out regularly. So I don't have to pitch the ball inside you so you can pull it. And you're never going to be able to hit the ball out of the park, generally speaking. Um, so if there's a willing partner, I would definitely trade him. But again, I think he started to slow down anyways. Uh, I do think he's capable of being, you know, a nice batting average. He's going to score some runs. The home runs, though, they're, they're just he's, he's not going to hit a lot of home runs. Yeah, it's that home run to fly ball rate, which is basically double was it, what it was in 2021 when almost every underlying indicator is worse. You know, right. to some degree, to a small degree or to a large degree, it's worse. His exit velocity is worse. Uh, his uh, hard hit percentage is worse. His launch angle is lower than it was last year. And yet he's basically doubled his home run to fly ball rate. That's the very definition of luck. And I know, you know, all of us chafe at just saying, eh, he's been lucky to this point and wrapping it up in a bow like that. But this is one of the places where I think you can do it. Yeah, and like I said, I, I think there's definitely luck. I think it's also a little bit of he was selling out for power. I think probably the approach for a lot of pitchers is to 
give him pitches that you could pull out of the park because most of the time a guy like J.P. Crawford's not going to be able to do it. Yeah, you, you and, snicker and, not, and say, go ahead, hit it. Yeah, exactly. And so yeah. then, okay, he's got four home runs, and you start to say, all right, good for you, uh, hat tip to you, but I'm just, you, you know, I'm going to just start pitching you a little bit more like the guy you are. You know, he needs to go back to hitting the ball the opposite field. He just doesn't have the power to be a power bat. He doesn't have the power to hit home runs. So J.P. Crawford is not on the Mariners to be a power bat. Right. They have other guys who do that. So he he just needs to go back to hitting the ball the opposite field. He could hit 290. I, I mean, I think he's, you know, he's he's capable of doing that. So let him be that guy who's going to score some runs for you, uh, you know, play some decent defense. He just the home runs are going to typically end up in the single digits. I think that's still even with the four early home runs. I still don't think he gets to ten home runs. Well, I'm hoping I'm hoping he's not selling out for power because he's not doing a very good job at it. Again, exit <laughs> velocity is down, launch angle is down. I know he's pulling the ball a little bit more, but if that's the plan, I, it's just one of these. I think it's one of these, you know, small sample noise, just streaky type of things going on. Yeah, so he's, he doesn't get the ten with the four so far. I don't think he does. I don't think so either. I I agree with you totally. My team Perez, I it just. <laughs> I don't understand my team Perez. I just don't. Having watched him in Boston the last two years, I just don't really, really don't understand what's going on. 164 ERA over eight starts. Expected xFIP at 362, but his expected ERA is only 242, and left on base percentage isn't particularly high. And but we get back to the theme that we've been getting back to with pitches, as we talked about in the spring. Hasn't given up a home run yet. Yeah, I'm just trying to go all season without having to talk about Martin Perez. And uh, <laughs> here we are. Uh, this guy has bitten me way too many times for me to invest anything in him. He's been on the <laughs> free agent, uh, you know, on the waiver wire in yep. so many leagues. And I, I refuse to put him in. As good he's as he's been. Guy, you have a never again list. <laughs> he is maybe at the top of the, He's maybe the only one. He's the captain of the never <laughs> again list. Um, I, you know, he's Martin Perez. This is what we're talking about with track record. This guy's not, you know, you mentioned, what did you say? The expected ERA is 242? Uh, expected is 242, yep. Yeah, he's not that. He's never been that, you know, so he's had streaks in his career. I know because I've owned him in the past where he's looked or where at least he's he's put up some decent numbers. So he's had nice streaks and then he gets he gets battered around for a little bit. So there's nothing that tells me that he can sustain this. And yeah, you mentioned the big thing. He hasn't given up a home run this year. You're telling me he's not going to be giving up home runs. He's a ground ball pitcher. Okay. Uh, he's got a 50, almost 56% ground ball rate. That helps keep the home runs down. Um, so that that's part of it. Um, he has slightly reduced his hard hit rate, you know, to a certain degree. So I get that. But at the end of the day, the home runs are going to come. And, and, and it, there's just no question about it. And it's like he doesn't walk guys a ton, but he's not like elite at keeping guys off the base. So I, I I think trouble's in store. You mentioned the thing that's the only caveat for me, and I, I don't feel it is a very strong uh, thing to talk about, but it's staring me in the face, and one of which is that 56% ground ball percentage, which is the his highest in several years, and it looks a lot like his early career. By the way, in his early career, he was a mid-40, you know, mid-40 ERA guy anyway, so it really right. doesn't make much difference, but he was controlling the homers a little bit, bit better than he has for the last five or six years, but I'm trying to look at pitch deployment. I'm trying to find a reason. So the first question is, why hasn't he given up a homer? Well, 56% ground ball rate is a pretty good reason why he hasn't given up a homer. His 
quality of contact is, has been pretty good as well as launch angle is down. He gives up a little exit velocity, but they don't barrel him up and hard hit percentage is reasonable. So I'm trying to look at, so the next question is, why is his ground ball rate returned? Has he changed something? And I'm looking at pitch deployment. His velocity is down a little bit. Fastballs, he's using his fastball a little bit more, which wouldn't indicate to me that's what's getting the ground balls for him. So I'm not seeing a big change that indicates to me that, that even that ground ball rate is sustainable. And if the ground ball rate isn't sustainable, the homers are going to come back. He doesn't punch anybody out. You know, he hasn't walked guys for a couple of years to a great degree, but he's never been super stingy about walking guys. He's, he's a contact pitcher and getting into June and July in major league baseball. I'm not sure I want to go with a contact pitcher. Yeah. Look, he, he, he is trying, he's trying. Yeah. <laughs> he la- you know, last year he gave up too many home runs. So you make an adjustment in the off season and he is throwing his sinker a little bit more. His fastball, you know, has a little more sink on it and he's using that more. Um, and that's, what's going to keep the ball on the ground. So he said, you know, I, I, I can't continue to have a fly ball rate you know, or a ground ball rate. I should say under 45%. Um, and when, you know, he was giving up less home runs, as you mentioned earlier in his career in Texas, his ground ball rate was higher. And mm-hmm. so, you know, he made the adjustments he needed to make. That's good. He's using his sinker more. He's getting more ground balls, but you know, at the end of the day, the home runs are still going to come even for a 56% ground ball. And I'm not sure that will continue 56%. Um, but even if it does, uh, it will limit the home runs from where they were last year. And maybe there's, you can feel like he's made some adjustments to at least improve from his 474 ERA last year. And, and, and that may be the case. Uh, but the home runs are still going to come and he gives up too many hits he again, he he his walk rate right now six point three percent. That would be a career best. He's right. actually generally been you know seven eight nine percent walk rate. So I have a little concerns that that walk rate is going to start to regress a little bit, especially as the home runs come and he loses a little more confidence and he has a couple rougher starts. So I, I just think like all around this this is Martin Perez. He has a track record. Trust in the track record. Right. Look at the bulk of the data and what we have. The bulk of the data. It tells us he doesn't punch out a lot of guys. He has a tendency to walk some guys. He gives up homers. None of that is a good combination. And I don't see anything that is compelling to me that that's going to change in any significant way. Yes, he's had more ground balls. That's been great. And he's controlled his walks a little bit. But, you know, what happens? One of the reasons, and remember we talked about, we've talked about this a couple of times in the, in the preseason about walk rate being either a function of command and control or being a function of fear. And right. a lot of pitchers are working on with less fear than they normally work with. He hasn't given up a home run yet. What happens to his walk rate when he gets hit around a little bit, when a couple exactly of balls right. go out in June? And that's what we're saying is, you know, it's the perfect example. of This goes back to, you know, home runs are starting to come. The offense is starting to come. The weather is starting to get warmer. Once, once he has that start, which, which he's going to have, where he gives up four runs in four innings, or, you know, even could be worse than that, gives up five runs, gives up a couple home runs. Mm-hmm. Then does he, you know, nibble a little bit. Right. And, you know, then does that walk rate get up to where it's been? Again, he this is the lowest walk rate of his career. He's not going to finish with a 6% walk rate. And so I'm not saying it's going to jump up to 15%. It's not a huge problem. He's not terrible. But it's too much for a guy who doesn't strike guys out and doesn't really have very good stuff overall. You can't be walking guys eight, nine percent of the time. And I think that's probably about where it's going to get to. 
Yeah, and I don't. I like him personally. I, he's a stand-up guy. I just I kind of like him personally, but he's not the pitcher I want to deal with because if you're not punching out guys and you're walking guys and you're giving up homers, you have the possibility of giving up that six, seven, eight run start. And those are the pitchers I don't want on my staff. The guy can have a 4.50 ERA if he throws a 4.50 ERA every start. I can find a spot for him. But if he's going to throw a couple two-run outings and he's going to throw a couple eight-run outings, don't want to deal with that. Yeah, and that's why I go back to I, I refuse to put in $1 of fab money on this guy. I won't do it. All right, so Nesta Cortez, now see this disappoints me because I'm, I'm having fun with Nesta Cortez and his 180 ERA so far is backed up by a 274 XFIP and a 221 expected ERA. What what are we going to deal with here? What's 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 got you going on Nesta Cortez here on this list that we're not buying into? Okay, well, we, we said, what is the first thing you look at? It's the luck stats. And mm-hmm. and for a pitcher, uh, you know, that can be left on base percent. I mean, there's, there's a few left yep. on base percentage. Right now it's 87.6%. Um, and BABIP is 248. Uh, those are, in my mind, unsustainable. Now, he had an 85% left on base percentage last year, a 265 BABIP last year. That was in limited time, remember, where I think he even had a little bit of luck. Last year, his XFIP last year was 4.18. This year, as you mentioned, 2.74. He's got the 1.80 ERA. Um, He's a different type of pitcher. His his pitch mix is unique uh, from the left side. It's not normal from the left side. Uh, but there's the luck stats that are kind of screaming red flags for me uh, from all over the place uh, that BABIP's going to regress. The, the left on base percentage is going to regress. You know, again, I, I think it's one of those things where you still, it's not saying you still don't get value on him from where you drafted him. You right. may. Um, but I think I, I saw actually somebody put out, oh, it was uh, Ben Verlander, Justin Verlander's brother. You know, he's an analyst. And he put out his top five pitchers in baseball right now. And Nestor Cortez was on the list. And to me, it's just, and look, I, I've got him on a couple teams. He's been great for me. He's not a top five pitcher in baseball. He's just not. And so I, I, you know, there's the regression is coming in that sense. He's still, look, he's still doing well. He's, I think he's a legitimate pitcher. He's proved that he's more than just the flash in the pan that he kind of was last year. He's, he's, he's an every, you know, week starter, but, uh, but there's going to be regression. Yeah, no, that's all fair enough. And again, we're talking about a lot of players who have overperformed and no one's going to look at a 180 ERA and 89 whip and say that's what he does for the rest of the year. It's not just not reasonable in Major League Baseball in 2022. So I understand that has a little bit of a track record with that 290 ERA from last year. And yes, that was an 85 percent left on base percentage. So. Yes, I can see that. And he's, by the way, he's not one of those guys who should be have a high left on base percentage, gives up a lot of fly balls, gives up homers in the air, doesn't walk a bunch of guys, but he can strike out some guys. That's not, there's nothing in his, in his stat line and his underlying indicator that tells me he can sustain an 80% left on base percentage or an 80% and above, although he's put a couple stat lines together with it. But there's nothing about him that screams to me he should be a high left on base guy. So yeah, even though he posted an 85% over 90 innings last year, I, I still think there's a regression there as well. But here's the thing, here's the bottom line. Is he if I put the over under it as a four ERA and not for the season because he's got 45 innings at 180 right now, just for the remainder of the season, is he a four ERA guy? Is he closer to that? Is he below? Is he above? I go below. I think under. Um, for the rest of the season, um, because 
I do like what Nestor Cortez does. Like I said, I, I, he does some interesting things. And again, from a left side, uh, I just think batters don't see pitchers like Nestor Cortez regularly. He does things differently. And so I, I like him. I think he's going to be a yep. successful pitcher. I just, you know, maybe more in the mid to high threes. Yeah, he's not going to be, he's, he's not, he's not going to get any Cy Young votes. No, by the time he's not a ends, top five pitcher, he's not going to get any Cy Young votes. It's basically his quality of contact's pretty good. He's a good pitcher, and by the way, I think he'll outperform his price at this point. And listen, the sub four ERA guy in the American League East—that's not bad. It's not bad at all. No, no. Uh, he, he look, he, he's he's overperforming your pre-draft evaluations, but don't throw them out. He's still, you know, there's still the questions with him. He's, you know, when you went into the draft process and you went into your prep and you said, here's a guy who only did this in 93 innings when previously he had been not a good pitcher. Um, So in 93 innings, he had some success, 14 starts last year, but there was that 85% left on base percentage. There was a Babbitt that I have a little bit of questions about, uh, you know, is that fly ball rate going to consistently be above 50% as it was last year? Well, it's not this year. It's 41%. So you had the questions last year. Listen to what you did, the prep, because those questions do still remain, even though it seems weird because we do see a left on base percentage that is consistent with last year. The the research was right. And I think, you know, we're going to still see that over the course of the rest of the season. And there are a number of reasons at this point why I would be aggressively selling him. Number one, he's a Yankee. And the Yankees are going great guns right now. Everybody, you know, all the New York fans love the Yankees. You probably have a New York fan in your league at this point. Go hit him up on Nesta Cortez. I mean, he's probably enamored with what he's seen from him the last couple of seasons and willing to pay a pretty good price, especially if he's been hurting in the starting rotation to this point. But these big market guys who are having outstanding performances at this point, and listen, he's going to be a very good pitcher. You could very well hang on to him, but I think right now, I would at least explore what you might be able to draw from him, draw for him in a trade scenario. These big market guys who are outperforming, they're great trade chips. They're just great trade chips. And then just attach, when you send the trade, attach Ben Verlander's article, his tweet about his top five pitchers in baseball that lists Nestor Cortez and say, see, look, Justin Verlander's brother says he's one of the best pitchers. Oh, Justin Verlander was also on the list, by the way. Oh, yeah, he well, is. Yeah. Oh, he's legitimately on the list. He is legitimately, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah by all means, sell it up big. Yeah, by all means, just, you know, I like to just send the stats. You know, 180 ERA. He had a 290 ERA last year. You know, don't look too deep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't look too deep. Don't look at the left on base percentage. What's a left on base percentage? Do you mean strand rate? Yeah. No. <laughs> no well, <laughs> most of the guys in my league won't be looking, won't be looking at that anyway. So, <laughs> like, you know, or, you know, just the current ranking in, in CBS or wherever he is, whatever your site is, he's going to be ranked pretty high at this point. Go, you know, go shop him around. Shake the trade tree, as I like to say. Yes, I, I think that would be the way to go with Cortez. All right, on Saturday, we talked a lot of players who have outperformed their expectations to this point, and these are players, we'll switch over to players that we're actually buying in on a little bit, and there are a couple names we didn't get to, so we'll start with them, and maybe we'll wrap back, back around to some of the ones that uh, that we got to on Sirius. And uh, we didn't get Taylor Ward because we just found some interesting players. Taylor Ward has been talked about extensively. It's been a great start for him, and uh, but you're buying in, so make the case. 
Yeah, it, it really has been. And I mean, maybe he's been the biggest surprise or one of the biggest surprises so far in fantasy, you know, leagues. Um, you know, Ward is dealing with a little bit of an injury right now, although it doesn't look like anything serious. Um, but w- this guy just has made such huge strides, much more patience at the plate, much less swing and miss. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's waiting for his pitch. I think he's identifying pitches more, you know, you do that as you get more experience. Um, I've talked about a stat I really like on StatCast, which is sweet spot percentage. Um, he's got a beautiful 46.3% sweet spot percentage. He's hitting the ball in the right spot and, you know, at the right angle, um, double digit barrel rate. He has good speed and he's been hitting at the top of the lineup for the angels should score a ton of runs. Um, with a certain someone hitting behind him, um, you know, who's doing all right as well. Um, look, I, I'm not convinced he's going to continue at this grade of a home run pace. He's got nine, a 26.5% home run to fly ball rate. Uh, but I do think the power is there. Maybe just not that good because that's extremely good. But I do think he has power, even though he's not a huge guy. He's going to hit some home runs, should score a ton of runs at the top of that lineup. He can steal a base here and there. And I think the batting average is legit. Um, Also really valuable in OBP leagues. As again, I mentioned his patience. He's walking a ton. Uh, Sweet spot. I just wanted wanted to get to the technical definition of a sweet spot here. Uh, Classification quantifies as a batted ball event with a launch angle ranging from 8 to 32 degrees. Ball sweet spot percentage. So it's a launch angle statistic. Hard hit percentage is one that I particularly like. All his... Indicator numbers, all his quality of contact numbers are off the charts. 43.9% hard hit percentage, 17% barrel percentage, 89% exit velocity. He's not a big guy, but 89% is sufficient exit velocity to be to to have an effect on the home run game. That's not marginal power. In fact, for a couple seasons before in smaller samples, he was 91 and above. He can probably get up to 90. And then, then the plate rates, 6.8% swing strike percentage, 18% chase rate. If we put, if this were a player A type of situation, you would guess a thousand names before you guess Taylor Ward. On this yeah. And, and again, this is a guy who did hit 27 home runs in AAA in 2019. I want to point that out again to reiterate the power is there. He does have power. Uh, again, this power, this sort of power, maybe not. And you know, he's not going to hit 45 home runs. I don't think anybody's expecting that. But I do think he's capable of hitting 25 ish home runs, 20, 25 home runs. Um, and look, we talked about the importance of luck stats and, and, and evaluating players. He's got a 425 Babbitt. That will inevitably regress. But no one is sitting there thinking he's a 370 hitter right but i do think that enough of the other things tell us that yeah even as that babbitt progresses he's still going to end up with a pretty nice batting average and he's established himself at the leadoff position of a lineup that's turned into one of the better lineups and certainly has two of the best players in baseball hitting behind him yeah so he's got, he's he's got a- some protection yeah and he controls his plate he controls the plate well his plate rates are great he's got pop and he's already got lift in the game so a number of good things can happen here yeah i just think he's look he's still only you know less than 600 at bats into his career we talk about this a lot he's still trying to figure the game out uh he's 28 but he's kind of a late bloomer spent a lot of time in the minor leagues so he's still figuring out the major leagues but i think he's starting to get a, a handle on being patient, finding his pitch, and and doing damage with it, and so I think there's there's legitimate gains here. Again, I, he's not going to finish the season hitting three seventy. He's not going to hit forty home runs, but there are legitimate gains here. 
And this goes back to some of the human element that we talk about. He's only had 587 major league at bats to this point, and he's playing. He's got regular playing time for the first time in his career, and he's already settled into these great plate rates. He's just a quality hitter with a little bit of pop. And if he can stay settled and avoid, see, this is the difference between him and Marcus Simeon. He's off to a hot start. He's feeling settled. He's feeling good. And what's going to happen here is at a point he's going to go through a dry stretch or there's going to be an adjustment. This is a game of adjustments. I know it's cliche, but it's cliche because it's true. They're going to make adjustments to him, may hit a dry spot here, how well he responds and how well he comes back. That's going to be the first thing I'm looking for. Right now, he looks like a terrific hitter and he's going to be a real profit center for people, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And so this is one of those ones where, sure, you could try and make the trade, although I think a lot of people are still going to be skeptical just because there are going to be people who don't know the difference between Taylor Ward and Tyler Wade. By the way, how can the Angels have a player named Taylor Ward and a player named Tyler Wade? I could not figure the two of them out for like three years. <laughs> You're telling me to – the only way I'm able to do it now is because Taylor Ward's on fire, and so I had to figure out who he was. That's right. Um, but anyways, you know – there may be some owners who are still skeptical, so you can pop it around, but I, I still think that, you know, just for the value you got on him, and again, that was either really late draft pick or you picked him up on the waiver wire for probably pretty cheap early in the season. Um, you might just want to hang on to him and just roll with him because I think he's going to have a nice season. I go off of Miles Mikolas for Taylor Wood. I think it's just <laughs> turn that around right there. That's right. Yeah, yeah don't go trade. nuts. He'd be an interesting trade tra- target. Don't go nuts. Because, again, I want to see the adjustment period. I want to see him hit a little adversity. It's still early in his career. How long it takes him to make an adjustment and come back after that will be an interesting take. But, you know, with his plate discipline and his plate rates, you're going to think he's going to adjust fairly quickly. And he's old, so he, he he's old. He's twenty, what twenty eight? Twenty eight, yeah. Yeah, and so it's not like a twenty four year old who's getting to his six hundredth, seven hundredth, eight hundredth major league at bat. It's not necessarily that, but by the same token, he's not quite settled in yet. You know, it, it, things look like they're going to get a little bit better. But again, I want to see that first stretch of adversity and see how he responds to it. I want to see. I want them to ask him to make an adjustment and see what he does with it. Here's one thing I like: is that he is putting up numbers similar to that great triple a year he had in 2019 where he hit 306 27 home runs 11 stolen bases the walk rate was high that year the swinging strike rate was low um you know the ground ball fly ball rate kind of very similar to where they are right now so he's it's like he's that was in 2019 okay it's been a couple years since then we had the pandemic where you know he probably got some weird awkward time playing he did play a little bit in the majors but we know like the alternate site was whatever uh and and so it's like now he's starting to be like hey I, i had a great year that year so i've showed i'm capable of at the professional level putting this up now i'm starting to hit like that guy i was that's encouraging to me yes but this is he's riding a hot hand right now, and I I don't have the track record of him. Sure. You know, just go through a stretch, go through a two for twenty one stretch or something like that, and then and then let's see where it is. I'm not saying get rid of him at all, but and you can go trade for him because I like him a lot, and I, I he's just a terrific hitter with pop. That's 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 the bottom line. He's a guy with great plate rates, great discipline, def, defines the strike zone, makes good contact, takes a walk, also hits with power. There's nothing not to like here. 
Yeah, and, and the other thing too is if you are trading for him, you're probably trading for the worst side of him because there will yeah. be regression in the batting average. There will be regression in the home run pace. Uh, again, you and I are both saying this. I still think he's going to do well the rest of the year, um, but you're kind of trading for the guy who hit 370 with nine home runs, and that's not the pace he's going to continue on. All right, Ty France. It's just like there's been kind of a man crush with me at Ty France now for about a year now. And uh, it's just, I, I just really like him as a player. And he's off to a terrific start, hitting 329, already six homers on the year. Uh, again, another guy with good contact skills. He chases a little bit, but he's just aggressive. I kind of like that about him. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Ty France fan too, a little bit of a man crush as well. I own him in about half my league, so I have a lot of shares of France. Um, so he's 27 years old, just past that thousand at bats uh, mark this season at the major league level. Um, starting to combine a little more power with his already really good plate skills. There's another um, part to that model, though, for, for me. It's uh, over 1,000 major league at-bats, getting around 1,100 with a couple years of regular playing time, and this would be his second year of regular playing time. He's established in his own mind as a major leaguer. He's not looking over his shoulder every time he has an 0 for 4 or an 0 for 3 or something like that, and that's a big turning point in a player's career quite often. Yeah, and we have to remember a couple of years ago when he was with San Diego, San Diego had like 18 guys at the AAA level who like played his position and were better than him. And the Padres were always making moves and it just didn't seem like they were not committed to Ty France. Right. So they trade him to Seattle and Seattle says, you are our everyday guy. <laughs> He's played both first and second base, but you are in the lineup every day. Um, last year was really had a nice season in a, his first full season. Um, with 291 batting average, 18 home runs, and he's been even better this year. He's he's improved on his plate discipline, which was already pretty good. Um, and, you know, I mean, the home runs, six home runs in 173 at-bats, he's, he's on pace to surpass what he did last year. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really like the improvements he's made um, to his plate discipline. Again, cutting down on his... Uh, swinging, swing and miss. His his strikeout rate is down to a really impressive ten point six or ten point eight percent strikeout rate. That's like elite. Um, but I, he has a tick more power. He's spreading the ball around the field at a really nice rate. He really spreads it around. Um, the run production is just awesome. You know, near the top of that Mariners lineup. So I think he's in a really good spot. I, you know, again, I don't think the home runs are ever going to be great. You know, I don't think he's ever going to be like a home run hater. Um, but I think, you know, he hit 18 last year. I think 20 is within reach and that batting average, I think is going to consistently be high. It has been for three straight years now. And, uh, he's going to, he's going to score a lot of runs. He's going to drive in a lot of runs. He's in a really good spot. He's had these six home runs with a 25% fly ball percentage and a launch angle of just 8.1. That's all low. And if I'm going to make a guess, I'm looking down at pitch deployment and uh, they're off the fastball with him and he's seeing a little bit more sliders. And that's where I think the, uh, the lower launch angle and the more ground balls are coming from. That's an adjustment he can make. He's a better contact guy and he doesn't chase as much. I think that chase rate is up because of the sliders as well. So I, I think there's a little growth left here in power because I think that game power comes back a little bit as he adjusts and the launch angle comes up and he hits more fly balls. That's why his home run the fly ball rate is so high at 15 to four because 15.4 because it's a lower denominator. It's only 25% of fly balls. Now, career-wise, it's only 31%, so he doesn't hit a ton of fly balls. But I'm guessing, I'm hoping that as he becomes more comfortable and more established, that lift and that game power will come in a little bit. 
Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. Is is like I said, moderate gains in the powers. Average exit velocity is only up slightly. His hard hit percentage is up a few percentage points. Um, but I think that's a good point to point out. He's getting five percent less fastballs than he did last year. Um, so you know he's he's seeing more breaking pitches, more off speed pitches, which makes sense because he's become one of the most dangerous bats in that lineup. Um, they don't want to throw him fastballs, but mostly that- sliders, which is which is feeding back those ground balls, to, you know, the ground ball rate and the flight, keeping the ball out of the air for him a little bit. I think he adjusts to that. Yeah, and you know he probably you know is on off speed pitches. His his numbers are pretty poor, but his expected numbers are actually still pretty good. So um, overall, I don't think there's really an answer to get him out. Maybe there's an answer to limit the power to a certain degree, but I don't think that's really how you approach him because he can hit the ball, he can hit any pitch, he can hit the ball any part of the field, and and I think the power is going to be sufficient. Depending on your rules, pay attention to it. One of the things, one of the reasons I got involved with him with this man crush is the second base and first base qualification. Hasn't played a game at second base yet this year, so that qualification may be going away depending on what your rules are. But at first base, if he hits 270, 275, maybe even a little bit above and chips in 20 plus homers in first base the way it is right now. That's a pretty good contribution, especially at the price you're getting him for. Yeah, no question. I mean, he definitely has more value being both first and second base eligible. I've talked about this before. One of the things I love in a lot of leagues I'm in that has the corner and middle infield spot and Mm -hmm. he and you have a guy who can qualify both, you know, in addition to the actual positions that they qualify for. So I I love being able to spread Ty France around. Yeah, it looks like next year they have Adam Frazier there at second base. Looks like. They're kind of committed to that, you know, makeup of their offense and that next year you might lose that second base eligibility. That's a that's a hit uh, to his his value and and something to you'll have to factor in next draft season. But I think he's a startable first baseman nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. You can you can own him and play him as a first baseman and you're not too bad off. I, I don't sure. have a problem with Ty France as my first baseman in leagues of reasonable depth. Yeah, he he's really going to be a reliable guy. I mean, look, he he is the batting average has now been there for three straight seasons. Yeah, two years ago in 2020, that was the shortened season. He only had 141 at bats, but he hit 305, hit 291 in a full season last year, and he's hitting 329 this year. The batting average is pretty reliable. Like I said, the run production I think is really reliable in terms of runs and RBIs. Um, he won't steal bases, but I think the power is there to get about 20 home runs. To me, that's that's among uh, in a position that actually really drops off. We've talked about the first base position before drops off a cliff. Um, I think that's among the best 12 to 15 guys you can get at that position. That's Brandon Camman. I'm Lou Blassie. We're from Fantastics and InsiderBaseball.com. Check out our baseball blog at InsiderBaseball.com. Well, you'll find uh, samples of the player notes that we give out to subscribers every morning, our coaches meeting, uh, several other articles. There some great analytics articles if you want to dig into the archives a little bit. Of course, you can find our podcast as well past and future episodes and they're full episodes that are free to non-subscribers. You don't have to be a subscriber to get our podcast. Make sure you listen to our show on Sirius on Saturdays and Sundays from 11 to 1. Everyone have a great night or a great day, depending on when you're listening to this. And we'll catch you next time on the Fantastics Inside of Baseball podcast. Oh, yeah. Let's go. Let's go.